Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Over the Bridge Podcast. It's me, Bilal. Today I know I've missed the last couple of episodes for anyone who's been following along, but I'm here and I'm back and the sun's out in London anyway. And I'm really excited to be joined today by a very special guest who will introduce himself in just a moment. But before we get to that, Quaker and Patrick aren't here today, but we of course have Tom. Tom, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right, man. I'm good. I'm good. Good. Um, blessed. Blessed Sunday morning, you get me? So, uh... It's not sunny, but it's, uh, yeah, I'm looking outside my window. It's all right. It's all right. So I'm going to go for a nice drive afterwards, just up, up mountains. You know how I do. Um, <laughs> so no, I'm, I'm, I'm good, man. How are you, Bella? You all right? Yeah, I'm good. I am really good. It's, it's really weird. I've got maybe about 10 days left of my life where I'm not someone's dad. So it just <laughs> yes. does feel, it does feel very strange. It's like I went for a walk this morning and was definitely counting down and being like, wow, Next time I'll probably walk down here, there'll be a baby with me. So it was, yeah, but it's a, it's a good place to be in. I'm but, still shocked that you're going to be a, a dad. It's still, <laughs> I think about it probably like once every day. I'm like, oh my God, but how's going to be a dad? Like what? <laughs> yeah, I know, man. <laughs> very strange. But anyway, that's enough about me and you. Let's introduce our very special guest, Leanne. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you guys? all good thank all good all good man thank you all good really lucky Welcome. to have you thank you for thank you for joining us by the way no thanks for having me i really appreciate it i love what you guys do on this podcast so i'm excited oh thank you so much and for our listeners who might not know who you are tell us who you are what you do what you're all about well first of all congratulations i'm very <laughs> excited you. i don't know you we've just met but i'm excited that you're about to become a dad that's very exciting in less than 10 days goodness um but yeah, my name is Leanne Levers, and I am one of the co-founders of Dope Black Women, which is a safe space for Black women. We pr- try to facilitate safe spaces for Black women, usually digital, especially now in COVID. Um, but yeah, just a space where Black women can kind of come together and talk and share and network with each other and really empower each other and kind of just be their fully expressed selves, as we like to say, um, without judgment or without kind of having to explain themselves. And I'm also a political scientist. So um, my background is in politics and international studies. And I specialize in looking at kind of alternative forms to the justice, the formal justice system um, as a way of reconciling sexual violence and other crimes that are usually gender-based violence. Uh, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> that is an amazing introduction. You know, sometimes, you know, Tom, when you, you get those guests on, you're like, I don't even know why I'm here. You know, like, how did we find <laughs> such amazing people? To but thank you so much for joining us. And Dope Black Women is such a powerful platform. I've been following the Instagram page for a while anyway. And this content oh, on there is amazing. Yeah, we try really hard. I think Shan and I try really hard to make sure it's organic. So everything that you see on our page is a reflection of something that we've been through or something that we are currently going through or you know one of our friends so it's always coming from kind of an authentic space as it were good bad or ugly I mean we talk about yes the good stuff but we also highlight our own toxic traits and talk about things that we did which were not so positive as a way of you know allowing people to see that you can change it's okay to grow it's okay to not be the best at all times because that's just you know there's nothing you don't have to be excellent all the time as a black woman I think there's a pressure to do that sometimes so we talked about we talk about can I am I allowed to curse 
Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, <laughs> okay, man. Tom, Tom will be the first person. I'm, 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 I'm the worst culprit here, so it's all right, you know. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, I mean, we talk about our fuck-ups all the time, and I think it's important to do both. So, yeah. I really love that. And, you know, coming from sort of social justice background that you come from as well, was that one of the inspirations behind setting it up? Um, well, we kind of fell into Dope Black Women. We always tell this story. Shan and I didn't actually know each other. We had both independently met the founder of Dope Black Dads, Marvin Harrison. Mm. And I think both of us had independently said, oh, you know, is there a woman's space or, you know, what's happening there? Because they had Dope Black Moms, but neither of us are our moms yet. And, mm. um, and yeah, we, it kind of just happened organically. He threw us in a WhatsApp group together. And fortunately, we got along because uh, we're now we're super close. It's been, I guess, like almost two years now. And incidentally, both of us have always centered Black women at the, you know, at the forefront of the work that we're doing. So Shan is a big mental health advocate and she works a lot around mental health for Black, the Black community in general and actually quite focuses quite a lot on Black men. And then my work has always kind of been centered around uh, reconciling sexual violence for, for Black women specifically. I mean, I fo- I'm, I'm from Jamaica, so quite naturally, a lot of my work has been centered here throughout the early parts of my career. And so even when I moved to England, that kind of focus just maintained, particularly because the Black community in England is so small. And as we know, especially for Black women, there's so much there's so little recourse that we have in terms of addressing sexual violence. So yeah, it kind of naturally organically has always been centered around black women. And so it, it kind of became a perfect fit for us to do dope black women. And that's kind of how it started. That's really cool. So you actually didn't know each other. Wow. No, we literally didn't know each other. It was so funny. I'm going to say this because Shan already knows this story, but when we first started, Shan was actually in Antigua. And so we were, neither of us kind of really knew what we were doing. You know, we had never started a platform. We both knew we were invested in black women, but how that was going to look, we had no clue. And she was going through a rough time at that point in time. And I was like, what did I get myself into? Like, I don't know this girl. Who is she? She could be a horrible person. I don't know. (laughs) And, And vice versa. I think when she came back, I was super busy. And then it kind of just, we met, the the first day we met was the first day we ever recorded a podcast together. Wow. Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) With our (laughs) co-hosts. And the first podcast we ever recorded, which wasn't the first one we released, but the first podcast we ever recorded was, um, what's the craziest thing you've ever done in the bedroom? (laughs) <laughs> well, what a way to break the ice you know <laughs> and we somehow decided collectively that it was a good idea to drink while we were doing this podcast just to kind of loosen up and and it was yeah we shared way too much between the Hennessy <laughs> and the discomfort of not knowing each other I remember Marvin was in like the other room because we were still recording at um at his offices at mm. the time and he, we started talking about like anal sex and beads and yeah, yeah, crazy sex outdoors. And he was like, what the fuck is going on? 
Um, <laughs> but it worked out. It was a good way for the three of us that host the podcast to kind of just get to know each other in in, in rapid mode. So what a way to break ice, I tell you. Plus Hennessy as well, man. You I know, just gonna say every time you drink Hennessy, man, stuff comes out. Oh, Trust me, when you drink cognac, hey, yeah, you know, <laughs> cognac used to be my drink at university. Is Blau will. Uh, but I can oh, attest God. to that. And uh, yeah, you know, it's um, all sorts of things happen when you drink Hennessy. Like what I say, any, anything is possible, man. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> you know, my drink was more Covossier, but it's the same thing. I'm telling you. Yeah, um, pretty much. You know, um, yeah, it's nuts. But I mean, so, you know, you know, sexual kind of, what I'd say, escapades aside and breaking the ice, kind of how how else did, <laughs> how else, you know, did you you kind of develop the relationship and I guess friendship um, that you have with Shan as well. Can you just kind of elaborate on that a bit further as well? Yeah, man, she's actually one of my sisters now, I would say easily. And it's really interesting because there's a huge age gap between us as well. I'm, she's in her mid-20s, early mid-20s. I'm 36. So there's like a 10, 12, 11 year gap between us. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just kindred spirits. We literally just kept working on the platform together and then we realized hey we actually like each other and get along and so we kind of organically just started spending more time together recording the podcast had planning meetings and then you know I'd be going somewhere and I'd invite her out or vice versa and you know I know her mom now her mom is actually a part of the group which is really cool and yeah so she I think we're just both really open people and it just became really easy for us to connect so by the time you know we were six months in we were just like the best of friends it was really interesting so I don't know that we it's funny because now that we are actually friends I think we do things to make sure that we stay that way Mm. so last year late last year we did kind of a team bonding uh workshop which is weird because it's just the two of us so there is really it's just you know there's no team per se but we did a restorative yoga session together um, we ask each other for advice. We, it's it just literally organic. I don't know that there's anything that we actively do other than persistently check in just to say, are you okay? Is everything, you know, ha- is everything okay? Is, any- is there anything bothering you um, about the way we're working? So we constantly check in with each other. But outside of that, it's really just organic, which is weird because you guys knew each other from before, right? How did you guys get started? Well, I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, we knew we knew each other. So Bilal and I were in the same year at university and we all we all met mm. each other at uni. So we were in the same year. Patrick's a little bit older than us, but I knew him from a while back because he was from my neck of the woods. Kwaku is a little bit younger, um, but he was in my course. And so we all knew each other. And I think we were having a conversation one day on Twitter, actually, about, I think, about Black Excellence. And we were talking mm. about... Um, this guy in the UK called the Chicken Connoisseur, who is a guy who goes yes. around. Yeah, yeah, you know, he goes around <laughs> like sampling all the like, you know, the the mm-hmm. savory dishes, the chicken dishes from your <laughs> your favorite fast food establishment. And um, yeah, we we're just talking about it, and I can't quite remember what the conversation exactly, you know, pertained to. Yeah. But eventually, someone was we were just going back and forth, and someone kind of jovially said, "Hey, why don't you?" guys just put this in a podcast and um we were like oh okay yeah and then we got talking got into a whatsapp group spoke 
it took a while for it to get going, but we got there in the end. And then we just have been recording um, ever since, really. So, yeah. Yeah, I actually found our first ever group chat conversation the other day. Just by Oh, yeah. It's just so weird reading it back because that's like <laughs> four years old or something, maybe even older than that now. Yeah, man. It's just like, wow, once upon a time, this was just a thought, you know, and now we've been doing it for, for ages, which I'm sure is similar for you, Leanne, with the platform, right? Um, one of the things, actually, I wanted to ask you, Leanne, because I was looking, well, I'm, I think you guys sell merch as well, and you also have... We do. You've been doing events and stuff like that, and that's a huge sort of growth from starting as a podcast. What was some of the, the rationale, I suppose, behind moving into also having merchandise and also doing events well I think the plan that was always part of the plan I mean the podcast is one element of what we do so we have whatsapp groups for you know as many women who want to join as many as we can accommodate so we have a UK group we have a US kind of Africa group as well because we genuinely have women from all over the world in our WhatsApp groups, which is really cool so we have women in Turkey we have women in the US we have women in the Caribbean we have a decent amount of women in Kenya um, as well. And then we have obviously our socials and the podcast, but then events was always part of our plan. So we actually had our first event pre-COVID. We had like a Christmas dinner, which was really nice. And then we had a going away party for me, which we just kind of turned into a dope black woman <laughs> event. <laughs> um, literally right before lo- we went into the first lockdown. And so that was always part of the plan. And we just wanted a way to keep providing spaces with women for, for women throughout COVID, because, you know, I'm sure you guys are aware that, you know, people are really genuinely kind of feeling very low during this period and suffering with various issues, whether it's just being alone or going through a breakup in the middle of a pandemic or having their kids at home during the middle of a pandemic and having to homeschool while working full time. So we have done a bunch of stuff for, uh, for our women during that time or during this time so we've done yoga sessions and actually what's really cool is that a lot of the things that we do we pull from the resources of the women themselves so our yoga um, person is a friend of ours Jolene who's in the group and she's uh, also just one of our really good friends so she leads our restorative yoga sessions and then we have our sharing call which is something that we do across the collective. So moms, dads, women, and men join together once a month. And that actually came out because of COVID where we kind of noticed that a lot of black women were feeling unsupported by black men. And a lot of black men were feeling Mm -hmm. like they didn't have a safe space to inject their opinion or their views on what they perceive to be female centric issues um, like sexual Mm -hmm. violence, like, Uh, parenting or you know things like abortion which come up which is a topic that's coming up a lot for me now recently just in my professional work Um, and so we wanted to create a space where we could provide uh, everyone with tools just for better communication between men and women and actually it's been really nice so we talk about things from emotional intelligence and learn intelligence and learning to trust your intuition And then, yeah, we have other events. So actually on the 11th of Feb, we have a virtual sleepover where we're sending 30 women. Yeah. So we're sending 30 women goodie bags so that you get goodie bags delivered straight to your front door with a range of health and wellness type items from Black-owned businesses. And 
Hmm. Then we'll have, you know, a couple of speakers. Um, probably one of them will be talking about sex because we talk about that a lot. And then the other one will talk about health and wellness and we'll play games online. And we had one last late last year and it was really cool. Palmas and Ray and Nephew sponsored us. So we gave everybody some alcohol <laughs> and some skincare products. <laughs> and we got into our PJs and we just had a girly chat, you know, and it's actually you don't know how much of a difference it makes because, you know, social interaction is such a huge part of our lives that's now missing. And I think providing women with yeah. the space to to just be able to have a chat is is more powerful than you might think. It sounds so simplistic, but it's actually, I, I think half of the women on the call, myself included, were crying before the end of the night. So, so yeah. I love that. And I love that. I was laughing when you said Ray and Nephew, because I don't know if you can see, but I'm wearing my Ray and Nephew. Oh, no, I didn't moment. see it. That's very cool. <laughs> um, yes, we but love yeah, Ray and Nephew. One of the things, um, who doesn't right but I think every time we talk about drink a lot but every time I've I've had it I don't really remember what happens after that but it's always <laughs> it's always fun right and one of the things that I wanted to ask and it sort of goes without saying that there is an importance for black women to have safe spaces of mm -hmm. their own but for you what would you say that that importance is oh gosh um do you know what I growing up I grew up in a black country or a black majority country. I grew up in Jamaica and moving to the UK. And I lived in the New York, in New York for about four years as well. And one of the things that really struck me in every place that I've moved to actually is how lucky I was to grow up in a space where almost everybody looks like me. Yeah. And, you know, growing up, I was able to see a woman black prime minister you know, most of the people that I know are doctors or lawyers or architects, and they're all women. And it's funny, mm -hmm. when I moved to the UK, my goddaughter, her mom, who's one of my really good friends, uh, she said to me, she's like, you know, you're the only person I know that has a PhD, which kind of blew my mind when she said it, because, you know, I guess in Jamaica, because it's a developing country and because it's a majority black country, education is one of like the most important things. It's literally yeah. a, a means of survival for most people. Like education is the way out of poverty. It's the way out of um, leaving the country, if that's what you want to do. I mean, even for me, I left um, Jamaica to go to, to go to university. And right. so it, it's just, it it's such an empowering thing to be in a space where you don't have to explain yourself where nobody's trying to touch your hair or no one's trying to ask you questions like, where are you from? Because it just doesn't matter because we're all essentially from the same place or there's that underlying assumption. And some of the things that you have to explain when you're in white spaces or have to go through when you're in white spaces is not, um, you don't have to do that when you're in a majority black space. And there's just something about being our own black woman. I don't know what it is. It's just, there's a sense of like unadulterated joy and laughter that happens whenever I, I, you know, hang out with Shan and, and lives on the podcast. It's really weird. We just, no matter how shitty of a day we're having, you know, whether it's because of lockdown or our work or our jobs or whatever it is, we come on the podcast and we just start laughing with each other, no matter what we're talking about, you know, we could be talking about something really serious. We, we find the humor in it mm. and and it's it's reflected in the WhatsApp group that we have. Most of these women don't know each other. 
you know, but they share so organically. We support each other. We congratulate each other on the small wins and the big wins. And it's just nice to have that say it. it I hate that using kind of obvious terms like safe mm. spaces, but it, it really does feel like a, a safe space. I mean, we go in there and talk about so many things that I'm sure I would never talk about with my white coworkers yeah. when I used to have them. Yeah, it's, it's actually like- really cool. <laughs> It's like no, just having, having a mask off, you know, just sort of unfiltered, just being you. Exactly, exactly. So I think, yeah, we just allow women to be themselves. And that is reflected by the fact that we get to be ourselves. You know, we don't have to pretend. So I think that's kind of the, that's, that's what it does for me personally. Mm. I think it's a cathartic in that sense, particularly when I was in the UK. But even now that I'm not actually, and I am, I do get to hang out with, some of my girlfriends who are mostly black hair or mixed in some way, shape or form. Um, we, we do, there is something about just being around women sometimes that is, yeah, just really relaxing and makes you feel at ease and you can talk about anything that you want. So, and I think that's really important. It's like going to therapy. You know, I always say mm. that going to therapy is great because you have this objective person who is not going to judge you or, you know, impose any of her personal opinions on you or his personal opinions as the case may be. And so yeah, the WhatsApp group is like therapy in many ways. Yeah. And so guess, much sorry, Tom, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no. I was I was I was gonna say um one of the things that you you mentioned earlier, Liam, is that you had WhatsApp groups for women in Kenya, the UK, the US, etc. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to ask if um do you do you find that there are Obviously, there'll be common themes from women from each of the countries or regions. But do you find there are any kind of idiosyncratic things depending on where somebody is is from, um, oh, or where they're based, rather? And can you just, you know, I mean, as much as you want to, just kind of like talk about some of the themes that you see in different parts of of the world? Because um, that was something that struck to me. You just said, "Oh, they're different regions." And I said, "Okay, so what are the specific, or potentially any of the more specific kind of?" issues that some of the women will go through from, you know, being based in that region or that country? Yeah, it's it's really interesting, actually. Some of the idiosyncrasies, as you mentioned, are really small. Some of them are, you know, bigger issues that we have to tackle. So I remember some of the, we're about to launch Dope Black Women South Africa this year as well. And one of the things that came up was the use of the term colored. Because, you know, in South Africa, it's quite a common term. And for many of the UK women in the group, they were kind of, you know, a few of them messaged me and they said, oh, you know, what's what's this all about? Like, you know, why are we using this kind of terminology? And we had an open discussion within the group about the history of the term. And one of the women in our group who is based in the UK is actually married to a South African. So she was able to explain that actually the term doesn't mean what it means here or what it means in the UK. Um, so we discuss terminologies a lot. So in Jamaica, coolie is a very common term, which I personally find offensive, but most British-born Jamaicans don't. So there's conversations about whether or not it's okay to use the word. Um, cultural things like uh, we were on the podcast the other day and we were talking about dating and relationships. And I was telling a story about a guy that I used to date and 
we went out to a party and I think I was like, oh, you know, he was dancing with someone and I was da, 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 da. And they were like, what? He was dancing with someone else? And I was like, yeah, it's fine. It's just a wine, you know, no big thing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so it's, it, those are very real cultural differences that we have mm. just in terms of the small nuances but some of the bigger things are on terminology. I remember we had a sharing call and there was this guy from Baltimore who came on, he was a male yogi. And, you know, we wanted to kind of get the male perspective on yoga and how it's used. Actually, the guy was really interesting because he taught capoeira and yoga to young inner city kids in Baltimore, specifically young black men. And he kept using the N-word. Now I come from Jamaica and the N-word is quite commonly used here. Um, but in, in the UK and in sp in many spaces that we operate in, dope black dads, dope black women, it's not something that we ascribe to. And he kept mm -hmm. saying the word and we had to politely let him know that actually in this space, that's not a word that we use that makes any, that is uncomfortable for people. And so things like that pop up every now and again. But I would say that more or less the similarities outweigh the differences and where the differences do arise, I think, it's re there are things that because we have the safe space, they're really easy to reconcile. And it actually undoes a lot of what is a very um, inflated statement. But it actually undoes a lot of what divide and conquer did. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is that, you know, we get a safe mm. space to talk and share in, you know, in unraveling and kind of unpacking those things and finding the middle ground in them. So understanding that, yeah, colored is not a word that we use, but that doesn't mean that we need to impose that on anybody else um, because we feel uncomfortable with it. And actually just understanding the difference in culture is a way of unifying us as well. So I think it's quite cool in that sense that we're able to do that. Yeah, it's interesting. When you were sharing that, I was smiling because I was thinking about, you know, the amount of times I've logged on Twitter and just seen people fighting over terminology or fighting over differences in culture. And actually mm -hmm. what you're saying is there's so much more that we have in common in our experiences than sort of the things that divide us. But I just wanted, I wanted to go back a second because it was interesting hearing you talk about education in Jamaica because my mum also went to, she grew up in Jamaica and then moved to London when she was 13. And she always says that um, when she came here, she was shocked at just how far behind the school system was in the UK than what she was studying in Jamaica at the time, you know? And then I had the honor, I'd say a few years back, the last time I was in Jamaica, someone who's like a sister to me was graduating from UWE. So she'd been oh, doing, nice. a yeah, she'd been doing a medicine degree there. And I got, you know, I went to the graduation and Tom, you can vouch for this. Our graduation was weird. The graduation that we had was, was a weird experience. It felt quite ritualistic it, for yeah, sure, man. Yeah, but being out there and just seeing, it was like this level of, just the level of the ceremony, the way that it was conducted at UWE was amazing. Like it was, I was happy for people I'd never even met just by attending that celebration, you know, and thinking of the role of education specifically in Jamaica and specific, well, from what I've seen and specifically thinking about women's empowerment and the role of education. Is that something that, you know, with your community that you've developed over the last few years that you've found being a topic that comes up? Um, I don't know that it's such a topic that comes up in the UK group, to be honest, mm. um, because so many of the women that are in our space are 
kind of professionals in their own right. Mm. So regardless of whether that's through education or not, we have loads of entrepreneurs, we have uh, medical professionals, we have women that are lawyers. So I would say that most of the women in the group, as far as I can tell, um, are educated. So I think that's a standard. But I think for me growing up and in the work that I do now, because mm. I work at a think tank, I'm, I'm the lead on advocacy at a research think tank that's policy-based. We do a lot of work around women in education. I'm currently working on a report around abortion. And it's really interesting because Jamaica is one of those places where it's a really interesting dynamic because women are very empowered here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have the most, I think we're, we have the highest number of female or women managers uh, in the world, actually. So you are more likely, wow. yeah, we are, we are more likely to have, you're, you're more likely to have a woman manager in Jamaica than you are anywhere else in the world. However, um, those women managers earn 63% of their male counterparts earnings. Oh, good. So it's it's interesting because women, especially through things like dance hall and just the culture in general, there are so many spaces where women are empowered, where, you know, we are educated. I think we make up 70 percent of the tertiary education population right now. So I'm sure you would have seen at the at the graduation that you went to at UA that the majority of people that were graduating were probably women. Mm, Yeah. Um, yeah. Even in economics and architecture and things that you think of as male-dominated uh, career paths, you will find that there are more women that are graduating, even if they don't end up going down that route. Um, more women that are graduating in those areas than men, but they're still not earning more. Things like sexual violence, we have the second rate, highest rate of femicide in the world next wow. to El Salvador. Wow. Um, so there are there is a certain backlash that I think that is emerging in response to this kind of women's empowerment movement that's taking place in Jamaica, um, which is unfortunate because I think a lot of men and in a way that I kind of understand feel like they're particularly for black men, because, you know, black men also are, you know, ostracized or subjugated by the status quo by the you know the institutional racism that we see both black men and women suffer from that from that kind of institutional prejudice prejudice but now that black women are starting to move forward I think it feels like an imposition on on black men in many spaces because they're like well you know where do we fit into this space and that's one of the reasons that we do the sharing call. But in Jamaica, it's a really interesting kind of unique, nuanced dynamic that I'm still trying to figure out because I've just moved back. And it's been a really interesting transition, particularly in the context of dating. But just in general, you know, I'm fortunate that I work in a black woman dominated space. Our CEO is a male, uh, but the rest of us are all black women. So I'm I'm fortunate in that sense, but it's definitely not the case for most. I mean, we don't even have a sexual harassment uh, policy or bill in place at the moment for that, you know, provides additional protection for women. And in the process of bringing it up, our Minister of Justice actually made a joke in the middle of Parliament to say, well, we don't want what happened in America with the Me Too movement to happen here where women can make a claim 15 years later. So if you don't make a claim within six months, forget about it. 
my god is actually what he said um so yeah it's 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 a really weird thing mm. um but yeah education is extremely important to both black men and women simply because of poverty and lack of access to education outside of it and so interestingly enough we have an extremely good um education system despite in some ways limited resources mm. um you know we have great minds in Jamaica some of the the best economists in the world are situated here and and it's unfortunate that you know we still have to figure this out in terms of other areas but certainly in terms of education it provides a space of empowerment for black women wow there's so much in what you said you know like i i honestly would never have known that stat about women managers in in jamaica like it's just funny where you think where the world tells you that progress is or where you assume progress to be versus what's actually happening globally yeah but then also like i guess the the what's the word for it juxtaposition of that with the other stats that you told us and yeah. i just want to just just call it out man the people on this podcast you know it's four guys me and tom are both <laughs> mixed race kweku and patrick are both well they're not mixed they're both black men um and you mentioned there the role of men really in this and for us you know whilst we have black mothers um we are not black women what would you like to see more of I suppose being done or what can black men do to support or just to listen what is it that you need yeah I think we talk about this a lot on the podcast because I always make the comparison to say that you know racism will never shift unless white people shift Mm. right and so comparatively uh kind of gender discrimination or sexual violence more specifically will never shift unless men shift Mm. And I think for me, and I'm sure many women will give you many different answers, but I think some of the things that we've been able to pull out is that listening is really just the beginning of it. I think so many, I, and I don't want to start stereotype or generalize, but there is this sentiment that men often talk to be heard, not to, or they respond as a means of being heard rather than actually responding to what's being said. And I think sometimes when you're in a male dominated space, women feel as though their opinions are glossed over or they're not listened to, particularly for me. I mean, when I was doing my research uh, as a PhD student, one of the reasons that I was able to get as much information as I was, was because people viewed me as a simple black girl who's just, you know, doing some work. It's never going to get anywhere. It's never going to have any impact so we can talk freely. Um, And so in some ways it can work to your advantage, but in other ways, when you're in a meeting and you're sitting as part of a senior management team and you're voicing your opinion, um, you know, it's get, it gets glossed over. Somebody will say the exact same thing as you and it will be lauded, whereas yours will be completely ignored. And that's, that's the honest truth of how many women, many black women feel. So I think listening is important. I think, Um, that's the first thing I think if we can come together in a space which is what we try to do with the sharing call you know if we drop our egos and really just listen I think that's the first step I think being accountable is is important in anything that you do so I think accountability is really important you know there are so many people when you hear you know so many stories have come out about women speaking out against whether it's Bill Cosby or R. Kelly or whoever, um, and lots of UK British artists recently 
have been spoken out about, you know, women have come out against them and said, you know, this is what happened. This was my experience. And there is such a, a sense of defensiveness, like black men will be coming to the defense of other black men in these instances and be like, he's a nice guy. He would never do anything like that. Mm-hmm. But if one in three women are being abused or being sexually um, violated on a day to day, you know, on a on a on a regular basis, where are all the men that are abusing them? Are we all lying? Are we all not telling the truth? And so one of your, you know, three friends has done something in the past or is doing something that you're turning a blind eye to. And I think it's a very difficult, it's a very interesting thing because people always say, oh, you know, women need to find better ways of protecting themselves when actually what needs to happen is that men need to find a better way of holding themselves accountable. And so I think calling out your friends when you see them doing something, even if it's the smallest thing, even if they just call a woman a bitch, which on the largest in in the larger scheme of things doesn't seem like a big thing. But even if it's just unpacking why that term is used and when it's used, I think is important. Or if he says, oh, you know, um, I'm just going to have sex with her and keep it pushing, you know, mm. why? Like, what you know, why? Why is it so? normal for you to just objectify a woman Mm. I think so I think you know in your own spaces because I think it's important for black men to have spaces as well and I'm speaking specifically about black men because I think that's what's central to the conversation here I'm not not Mm. as I'm not interested in other minorities or you know and white people but you know my focus and my center is always the black community so I think even in your own space, safe spaces, and I think it's important for black men to have space, safe spaces as well, to have those really open and honest discussions with each other about those kinds of things as well, because they affect, you know, you're about to have a, a kid, Bilal, I don't know mm. if you're about to have a daughter or if you're about to have a son. But I don't know either, to be honest. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, you know, most people wait to find, some people wait to find out, others don't. But if you have a daughter, you know, you don't want her to be mistreated in the same way that you may or may not have mistreated, you know, women Mm. in your younger years when Mm. you were, you know, young and foolish. And I certainly don't want to raise a young black man and take the piss out of him as I did maybe when I was younger in my early twenties. You know, I, I think there's accountability to be had on both sides. Obviously we have to take into account gender dynamics and power dynamics, but I think it's important for both men and women to hold themselves accountable for their past behavior and continue to reflect and, and see where they went wrong and, and see where they can move forward and impart that kind of those lessons onto your kids or your friends, you know, your colleagues at work. So yeah, yeah, I think those are the two most important things: listening and being accountable. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a you said a lot, you know, and just uh, I'm just trying to think where we even go from here. But I, <laughs> I'm sorry, these things. I always say that uh, you know, if you if you don't like having serious conversations, I'm not really the person. To I love it. Have. No, exactly but it's, it's very much appreciated, and it, it is a conversation that. Um, has to regularly be had, you know what I mean? And not just in spaces that are just specifically for black women. It needs to be opened up, I think, sometimes. Yeah. Um, in fact, more than sometimes. It often needs to be, you know, um, we need to hear these messages often, to be honest. Um, you know, I think, Liam, one of the one of the things that you've kind of mentioned and alluded to is like coming to, you know, men and women come, coming together and dating and things like that. And the one thing I find 
Um, now that I'm out of London and I talk to people in London that um, are dating, and this is perhaps a little bit more for the, the younger generation, I think, is they often, especially black men and, and black women that are, are younger than us, they talk about the fact that there is this kind of um, battle of the sexes, which has always been, uh, you know, it's always been present. Um, but they often talk about the fact that the dating scene feels very hostile. Um, maybe hostile is not the right word, but it, it does, there does feel to be an element of, disc, um, you know, contempt towards the opposite sex. I'm talking about this in a heterosexual framework, of course, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you've mentioned the second point about coming together, but it almost doesn't seem to be happening for the the younger generation of, I'd say probably more on the part of black men, um, because, I mean, I speak to them more than I do younger Black women um, from like a mentorship standpoint. So, you know, and I'm guessing you might get the same kind of impression for the the younger Black women that you speak to that are oh, they ain't seen as trash, London is, you know, London's bad vibes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, why do you think that is? And is there anything that can be done to <laughs> improve that kind of dynamic? And this is, you know, I, and obviously, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's, it's, it's as much as a trivial question, but I just find when I talk to the younger just they're like, no, nah, I don't like dating. It's trash. I can't be myself. Da, 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 da. So why do you think we've kind of got to this point now? You think? Goodness, that is such a, a heavy question, actually. Um, first of all, dating anywhere is trash. Like, I'm dated. <laughs> 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 I'm finished. <laughs> <laughs> I've dated in New York, I've dated in the Cayman Islands, I've dated in Jamaica, I've dated in the UK, and it's trash everywhere. (laughs) So, um, and not because men are trash, because I don't like that narrative at all. And I tried not to subscribe Mm. to it, although sometimes it's hard because I just want to scream at (laughs) y'all. But (laughs) um, I think in the Black community, it is difficult. And I hate to bring everything back to slavery and colonialism, but at the end of the day, you know, mm-hmm. divide and conquer is a real thing. And I think, you know, we often operate as if we're living in a post-colonial state when we're really we're living in a continued colonial state because we are still feeling the impacts of that. And that whole idea that during that period that Black men and women were separated intentionally to divide the Black family, I think is, is a real issue. I think that we still see today you know I think there is a thing about black women being perceived as being on the bottom of the rung so I'm just going to keep it real and I I don't know I I mean I am mixed as well so this is not in any um, I think you should be able to love who you love Um, but I think there is a sentiment within the black community that in there's a saying in Jamaica that came from a popular book, which I can't remember the name of it, but it was written by a guy called Trevor Rowan that says nothing black, no good. And so as a black man or as a black woman, wow. your aim. Wow. <laughs> your, and that book was written in like the seventies, you know, mm. so not that long ago. Um, your aim is to date someone who is lighter skin than you. And um, you know, I think you see that in the stats. It's it's if it feels true, it is true. And the stats reflect that where in the UK, you see a disproportionate number of black men dating white women, but that's not necessar- necessarily the case for black women. So I think mm-hmm. that's an element of that. And I see that here. I mean, I am a darker skinned mixed race woman. My mom was Asian. My dad was black. And I can probably 
categorically say that one of the reasons that he dated her was because she was a foreigner and because she, she was Sri Lankan um, was because she was a light skinned foreigner, you know, and he was a dark skinned black man who was trying to raise his station in life. I don't know if he did that consciously, mm. um, but I do know that most of most, if not all of his girlfriends were light skinned. Um, and even now that I'm back here and dating, many black men will say to me quite openly, you're the first dark skinned woman I've ever dated. Um, and I'm not full black either, you know, so I probably get a pass because I have a different hair texture mm. than many of my black woman counterparts. So mm. I think that's definitely an element which is directly stemming from divide and conquer and the kind of uh, self-esteem issues that take place with it, that operate within the black community sometimes, particularly within black men. Um, and then I think a lot of it for me in the UK specifically is ego. You know, I go to a club and when I first moved to the to England um, or to UK in general, I would go to the club and men would be on one side of the dance and women would be on the other side of the dance. And I'm one of those people like I don't have a problem approaching a guy if I'm interested. You know, I'm not going to my ego is not in front of me. If I like you, the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to say no, you know. And I remember going to the bar once and talking to a guy who actually knew who I was kind of interested in. And he was just standing there. He wasn't offering to buy me a drink. So I offered to buy him one. And Man. he was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, I don't want to embarrass you. So I'll say yes. Huh? But why what? is that embarrassing? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's what he said to me. He was like, I'm, I don't want to embarrass you. So I'm what a weird yes. response. Yeah, wow. but there is this thing. It's really weird. I remember one another instance where we went to the club and there was this guy and he was just kind of in my personal space, you know. So I just kind of tapped him and I just asked him politely to move forward a little bit. And he straight up got in my face and was like, what's your problem? Are you on your period? You don't like man being close to you. You, you know, you, you think you're too good for people. I was like, whoa, I just asked you to move forward, my G. Like what what's the problem so I think I think there is something to be said for people having this has been my personal experience is there being as you said that kind of like hostility and I don't really know where it comes from I don't know if it's like the rejection that men have to put up with because they're always the pursuers and that is something that men are struggling with I don't know I mean maybe you can tell me Tom boy you know <laughs> <laughs> wow um... <laughs> Do you know what? Looking, looking. I think now that I've been, because I think when you move away from one space to the the like another space, you get a lot of time to reflect on what life is like. Um, back in that previous space, and I've, I've apart from going to university, I've been in London for pretty much all my life. So this is the first time I'm like, okay, what does London actually? You know, what do I think of London? Um, and I think, I think you're right about the hostility thing. I'm not entirely sure where that comes from but uh, I don't know I think it does go hand in hand with ego and I think I often think and and I've been I've been thinking long and hard about this I often think that um sometimes men get intimidated by women doing well you mentioned the theme about women in education and mm -hmm. I think that as like more women are being educated mm -hmm. and they're doing well for themselves sometimes I think it makes men feel very uncomfortable Mm -hmm, um, definitely. And so they kind of just don't know what to do with themselves. Because I've spoken to a lot of women about this before. 
And I've asked them the question before, like, and they're, they're younger. So of course, a lot of it is still hypothetical. And I'm saying, look, okay. Um, and I, one of the questions I often ask is, okay, you know, if you'd like to have kids and if, you know, God permits, would you like to work when you have, um, when the kids are initially born? Most of them say no, at least when the kids are initially born. It doesn't mean they want to be, you know, a stay-at-home mum, but just for the initial kind of maybe couple of months, year, whatever it is, two years, yeah. they'd like to just... And then, and then the next question that uh, then comes around is, okay, do you think you're going to, are you with the, or if they're with the person, um, are you with a man that's financially capable to do that? And then that is mm. where we start to unravel a lot of things about the fact that actually, I think women are in, it seems like the, at least tra- the trajectory, at least coming out of uni- university, at least in the UK, is that women seem to be doing a lot more and being more proactive on that front than men are. And so I think what is ha- happening is, and I don't just think this is for for black men in the UK. I think there's almost a crisis of of masculinity about what it is to actually be a man, and not not in a toxic masculinity sense about what is actually the role, and how for and therefore how do I adequately present myself to a woman? I think that is one of the issues that I often see. And then what that often maps out to what it often maps itself out to is almost like when you're a kid and you you. Um, you don't know how to express the fact that you've got a crush on someone. So the only way is you tease them, but because you're adults, it's it's the same thing, but it's a lot more kind of sinister and a bit more nefarious in that way. And I think that's kind of one of the avenues because I think it's like, you're a man, you want to come to a woman, but you can see that the woman is just doing mad, you know, she's just doing mad, mad bits and she's just, you know what I mean? (laughs) And it's like, right, how do I actually go about this? And I think that's one of the problems I have. I, 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 I would say when I was younger, I kind of definitely um, would have felt that way sometimes. Now, I'm, as I'm a bit of an older man and I've kind of, by the grace of God, got my stuff together, I'm okay with that. But I definitely see it with the younger generation that they just feel unstuck. They don't know what to do. Mm. And, you know, I, I do worry about the younger generation of men because it's not to say that there's like a, it's not like, a, it's not about a snowflake thing. It's just like, I, I don't think they know how to necessarily be accountable they know how to communicate no one's taught them how to be men so to speak yeah you know you know I was gonna say like you like you said you you can be like an older sister to Shan kind of thing but I don't Mm -hmm. think have that kind of older older brother younger brother dynamic amongst uh, men the same way we do with with women I think um you know so yeah yeah I definitely agree with that actually I think I do know a sh- notice a shift as I've gotten older, a very slight one, but um, it's interesting. I was having a conversation with, I was talking to one of my girlfriends and I was saying to her that if I've gone out on 10 dates since I've been back to Jamaica, seven of them have ended by me fi- finding out that the person is married. Wow. Um, wow, yeah. wow, 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 yeah. wow. Yeah. Wow. wow. <laughs> so I was on a date with this guy who turned out to be married. And he brought it up very casually (laughs) and we're, you know, we're just chit chatting and I was like, Oh, you know, so what's, what's your situation? He's like, yeah, you know, so my wife and I, and I was like, Oh, okay. No shame. None. Mad. So we continued the conversation because you can't, you also can't cuss people off for going on a date with you when you're married, apparently, but (laughs) it's actually really cool because (laughs) it's actually really cool because 
we ended up having a very honest and organic conversation about dating in real life because you know even though I didn't curse him out we kind of just it it gave me an opportunity to kind of just delve a little bit and so we're talking and I find that what I've noticed and many men and women have agreed with me is that you know at least for the circle of women that I hang out with who I consider for the most of most part for us to be progressive independent hardworking women um that we don't necessarily need someone who makes more money than us or, you know, that kind of traditional provider role isn't Mm. necessary. We're Mm. not looking for our equal or someone that's better than us necessarily. Not all women are. Some women are for sure. I personally have never dated anybody and this is not intentional or unintentional. It's just kind of the way things have worked, but uh, I've never dated anyone who's also had a PhD or I've never dated anybody who's made as much money as I do. Not that I'm rolling in the dough, but, you know, it just is the nature of the beast as it happens. And that's OK for me, because what I'm looking for in a partner is not necessarily that. But many women are looking for their equal or looking for someone who, as you said, Tom, you know, if God forbid you want to take a year off work that, you know, and stay home with the baby that you can trust that your partner is going to pull through for you. Um But men specifically don't want that. I mean, it it would seem. So the guy that I was talking to, he was like, yeah, I don't want to date with my equal. I don't want to be challenged. I don't want to feel like I need to compete with my partner. I just want someone who's going to listen to what I have to say Mm -hmm. and support me. And it's interesting that people or some men feel that you can't have both, that challenging you isn't the same as supporting you. Because for me, I want a partner who pushes me to be the best version of myself. And if he's going to, if that includes calling me out on something that I'm doing, that's dumb as rocks. I want him to say that to me and be like, babes, you know why you don't try it this way? Or the delivery doesn't need to be dictatorial. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, yeah, I want someone who I can learn from or someone who, you know, fills my gaps in other words. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's an interesting thing. The, the wants and needs of men and women that are both kind of progressive and independent individuals. It's, it's interesting because, you know, what we're talking about, and one of the things that you mentioned before was about men not holding other men to account with sort of the things that they say and the things that they do and the way that they interact with women. But like going back to my own teenage years, this stuff wasn't taught. There was no, there was no time ever where an older man or my dad or I don't know anyone really sat me down and taught me how to treat women or taught me how to date. And I now work in school. So I do a lot of workshops with young people. Well, not right now, but I was doing a lot of work with young people in schools. And one of the workshops that we were running was with a bunch of teenage boys over a few sort of weeks and a couple of months. It's just a space for them to be, to be young men and talk Mm -hmm. about the things that were going on for them. And we did this one activity which went on for weeks because all it was was asking them, what do you think it is to be a man? And the, the stuff that came out from them was just confusion, like not wow. from anywhere, not from anywhere that anyone had said anything explicitly, but from the things they had picked up in society, from the conversations they'd overheard, from stuff that they'd seen on the TV, etc. And we had to break down. So how has that affected your relationship with women or with girls? And, you know, you have a lot of boys who just think that this is the way that you're meant to be with girls when you're dating, when I'm 15, 16. And I'm like, where did you get that idea from? Well, my boy did it. Or, you know, I saw this my, one, my, my big brother. And it was never a conversation. It's never that anyone has sat them down and talked. It's just mm-hmm. observing life. And I think it's so interesting that all what we're really unpacking here and what stood out for me 
um, when I was working with those young boys is if only we had the spaces to sit and talk openly and share what it is that people want and need growing up so that this actually something that you know when you're growing up as a teenager through to being a 30 40 year old man you understand this stuff because you've actually yeah. been in a space to talk about it and you're not just picking it up from the people around you yeah man and, yeah and- I mean Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I know I was I was just gonna say there is something to be said for leading by example as well. I think what you just highlighted to me or what resonated with me just a while ago was that actually men don't feel comfortable talking about their emotions. Mm. Um and Mm -hmm. I think just the capacity to find a space where you can speak openly about how you feel is is really powerful. And so it's cool that you're able to do that with with the younger generation. Yeah. Mm I was going to say, one. I think one of the other kind of symptoms I think sometimes is um, of what we see now is that often a lot of people don't live in um, two-parent households. Um, mm-hmm. And especially more for, I mean, I, I've, I've definitely seen, I've seen young men and I've seen young women both have daddy issues and it comes out in completely different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that often does definitely affect, because I've spoken to people who, like they haven't, they haven't grown up with a father in their life and it definitely just shapes them, but in, it shapes them in such a latent way. It's like this kind of PTSD that you eventually get. And so they've never seen in a, in a close format, any positive reaction between um, a man and a woman. So they don't actually know what that looks like and they don't know how to react to it sometimes. And yeah. so they're having to do things by the book. And that means they're reading sometimes sources that are not particularly well balanced. Like when you go on the internet and stuff, cause I like, I like reading about relationships and stuff like that, just cause I find the whole human psychology element of it very interesting. Like you go and read like things that are in the, the woman's sphere and you read stuff that's in like the manosphere and they say two completely different <laughs> things about the same issue. And I'm like, well, there should be like a healthy common consensus here. Do you know what I mean? No one has to slate the other person. And I'm not even saying that from like an, oh, like an idealistic, you know, position. I'm just saying realistically, some of the stuff that is said on both sides is just complete rubbish, I think. And so it's like, you know, I think that is kind of one of the issues as as well. And so no one's taught anyone to be a man Mm. directly, like fathers haven't taught. And Mm. mothers in their capacity don't have time to teach a woman had to be a woman because they're having to be mum and dad. Yeah, yeah. Or vice versa. And so I think it kind of leads to this kind of broken society. So it's like what you were speaking about earlier about just um, like living in, in like we think we're living in this post-colonial age, but, you know, we're not, we haven't really moved that far from it from a psychological point of view. And one of the things that I, like I'm, I'm reminded of is, I remember dating someone who was in across the pond in the US. And one of the mm-hmm. things that I always thought I was laughing because he, he <laughs> the whole story. But what, um, the interesting thing is I definitely got that impression about not moving past from the colonial age. Now, the, I, I, you know, I have to give the thing is, is that this girl was from the South and and you only have to go back two, three generations and there's slavery mm. right there. So I'm I'm not saying there's something to be overlooked, but you could see that in the in the kind of day-to-day way that she was operating, even dating. It was just something that was not so easy to get past. And I have to discount that, of course, but you see that and you even see that in things like kind of diaspora wars. So one of the things you often see is like, if you see on social media and you're laughing because it's true, right? We see this thing between like people from, black people from the US, African-Americans, they love to battle 
like black people from the UK yeah. um, about who's more blacker or something. And I'm sweeping generalization, but that's what it often revolves around. And then you get people that are black African, black Caribbean, and black, all right, cool, hold on. You're saying you're Ghanaian, I'm in Ghana. You're saying you're Jamaican, I'm in Jamaica. What's good? <laughs> like, do you, you get what I'm saying? So there is this kind of whole, it is quite, um, it's quite toxic. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes it does make for funny watching on, like if you're just trying to scroll through black Twitter and stuff, it can be interesting to watch, but generally it is actually quite a toxic thing when you think about it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah definitely is. I mean, and it, just to kind of jump on your point to piggyback on your point. I mean, even for people who grow up in two parent households, you know, my, my dad and mom were both present in my household and I don't think I ever saw them kiss or like be affectionate with each other and so in my own relationships Mm. I've recognized very easily that I am not touches like my lowest love language Mm. you know I I'm not affectionate in in many instances I'm kind of I have this very clinical approach and actually one of the ways in which I demonstrate affection for someone is if I cuss you (laughs) (laughs) you and me sound like the same person Lillian yeah if I don't care about you I'm not gonna say shit it's like you know but if I care and I see you doing some shit I'm gonna call you out on it and that to me is a is a demonstration of love and affection so and that's something I'm working on I'm working on it but um but yeah I think you know what you see is is in many ways subconsciously what you become so I definitely agree with that point um yeah it's interesting yeah, I mean, we've talked about so much in this podcast. This has actually been a great start to my Sunday, and I'm sure for you as well, Tom. But I'm really oh, conscious man. of time. And I'll yes. Just, to, to begin bringing us to a close, I suppose, Leanne, <laughs> what is next for yourself? And also what's next for Dope Black Women as a platform? Um, goodness. Uh, for Dope Black Women, we are just, you know, I hopefully growing from strength to strength. We are expanding to South Africa, as I said hopefully kind of around April, May time. Um, I'm here in Jamaica, so I'm expanding the platform here. So hopefully we'll be launching here as well as uh, South Africa kind of at the same time. We are going to be expanding to a YouTube channel. So I've been collecting lots of dope content for that, kind of going around in different places in Jamaica, finding hidden spots, doing food reviews, lots of round table conversations. So that's interesting and that should be kind of cool. We have an event coming up on the February, February 11th. I don't know when this podcast is coming out, but yeah, um, which is our virtual sleepover. We have uh, Women's Month coming up. So that's really exciting. Uh, I don't want to say too much about what we're doing for that, uh, but we have Stress Awareness Month also in April. So we're doing a sip and paint, virtual sip and paint for that. Um, yeah, and just kind of the podcast. We have some really good guests over, coming up over the next few weeks. So we release episodes every Thursday. So you can check that out. And for myself, um, I just moved back. So I've been here since September. I'm the director of advocacy at a research think tank called the Caribbean Policy Research Institute. Um, just a very self-explanatory name and we have lots of reports coming out uh, soon so as I said next week we are launching a report about abortion and because abortion is illegal in Jamaica just FYI Um, so we're talking about the kind of fallout of that we're talking about children in state care we're talking about women's participation in crime 
Uh, so we have lots of stuff around the impact of education, the impact of COVID on education in, in the region. So we have lots of that coming on. Um, and yeah, just kind of continuing to support Black women wherever I can and really hoping to focus on restorative justice, which is my specific area um, over the next couple of months, years, lifetime to come. Wow. Um, that, yeah, that's me. That is so much going on in such a yeah, <laughs> That is amazing cool, to hear. Cool. I honestly Somewhere just in see... there, I'd like to get married and have kids, but you know. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> I don't know how much of that is up to me fingers crossed that the next date isn't with a married man that's all I'm (laughs) saying thank you thank you I need all the (laughs) all of the the blessings and prayers that I can get in that regard I want to say thank you so much I feel like this has been such a great and powerful conversation for us to have and a really really amazing guest thank you so much Leanne for anyone listening in um, that doesn't know where to find you just what are the platforms that people can find you on Yes, yeah, so on Twitter and Facebook, we're Dope Black Woman. And on Instagram, we are Dope Black Woman One. And for me personally, I am Lee Levers on Twitter. So that's L E A L E V E R S. And on Instagram, I'm Lee B J A. So L E E B E E J A. I need to streamline all of my social media platforms actually but yeah so yeah if you're interested in dope black women or joining the space please feel free to message the page or to message me click on the link in the bio um we're always welcoming more black women to to join our space and yeah and if you're interested in hitting me up about anything to do with any of the things that we've talked about uh yeah just you know give us a shout amazing well thank you so much Leanne I mean this was thank this was you great. so much for having me no I had a really good time this is my first uh podcast that I've been on where I'm the only girl so it's actually really cool oh. um it was nice chatting with you guys well we are very very grateful that yeah, you joined man. us for that first experience um I feel like yeah I've honestly had my mind really expanded this morning I yeah, really agreed, enjoyed agreed. chat and I hope that we can stay friends by the way that's a shout out on the podcast so now it has to happen yeah no for sure I mean please let's keep in touch I'm coming back once your borders open up again <laughs> get, a, get a little drink and or I, something you know so. yeah get maybe yeah. get some Hennessy I don't know <laughs> yeah I mean Hennessy and Cranberry is always a good shout um I don't know if you guys have been introduced one of my friends Shane who used to live in the UK he introduced me to Champ Hennessy oh wow um, wow. wow yeah which is champagne hennessy and that is a lethal. Splash of cranberry it's actually Mad. so good though okay cool no, straight, we'll hold straight, you straight no chasers how i tend to drink it to be honest but you know Ooh. one thing i was now nah, the one thing i'll say is like being here in like a french part of the world is the way they take like drink so seriously and so responsibly mm-hmm. is like you can have a whole night like i had a drink with a neighbor the other 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 night right and she's like, what do you drink? I'm like, ah, you know, a bit of wine, maybe some cognac. She's like, oh, i got some nice cognac for you here. Listen, I don't understand how I drank so much, but I felt okay the next day. And the reason why is because she was like, just sip it slowly. Mm. And like, she's, she's, you know, she's, 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 she's a bit older than me and a lot more seasoned. She had like loads of drinks in there and whatever. And she's like, no, no, no. She's like, the problem with people in the UK is you lot abuse drink. You just like, you binge drink. She's like, no, no, no. She's like, in France, the way we drink our stuff, 
if is you know cognac it's a sipping drink just just sip it back just keep sipping like and you'll be fine i was like what well i'm and glad Tom, that you're, that you're, that at this point in your life you finally learned that lesson just crack the code on, on drinking cognac do you know what i mean like finally like so you know but um, oh, yeah man i'll definitely well, Anyway, just yeah. just to wrap up, I just want to say, um, as usual, to all of our listeners, if you do want to message us, it's OTB Podcast UK on all the socials, and you can just email us if you want at otbpodcastuk at gmail.com. On behalf of myself and Tom and Kwaku and Patrick, who are here with us in spirit, I want to say a massive thank you to everyone for listening, and we hope to have more content ready for you soon. So thank you so much, everyone. <laughs>